Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, presented by Living Stream Ministry. These life studies explore every book in the Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. These messages unveil how the scriptures can be living and more than mere doctrine to man. Today, we bring you recorded excerpts of Witness Lee's original speaking, along with some of our own comments and thoughts. If you have questions, please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. Acts 13.34 is a verse that has troubled many Bible scholars and translators over the years. In it, Paul says that God will give us the holy and faithful things of David. What are these things? And how do we receive these holy and faithful things that God desires to give us? Stay with us today for an enlightening life study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and focused on the ministry of Witness Lee, who spent 21 years of his life devoted to the exhaustive exposition of the entire Bible, revealing the eternal life of God for our experience and for the accomplishment of his purpose. Though typically we bring you recorded portions from Witness Lee's spoken ministry, once again today we have a tape that is just not suitable for broadcast due to the poor quality of the recording that we have, so we apologize for that and for not having Witness Lee today. But we'll do our best to bring you the main elements of this marvelous life study message uh, without the recorded excerpts. And what we do have, thankfully, is Ed Marks with us to join in this deep look into the book of Acts and... Chapter 13, at a chapter that presents the initiation of Paul's New Testament ministry. Yes, Chris, I think we will see a marvelous revelation of what God wants to give us. He wants to give us the holy and faithful things of David, and we will see what these holy and faithful things are. That's a unique phrase. We're going to come to that in a minute, Ed. But before we do... In this portion, we're continuing to look at Paul speaking, and here he was in a synagogue to an assembly that included both Jews and some seeking Gentiles. Before we get into our study today, Ed, we concluded the program with Ron Kangas, and we touched that portion of Paul speaking where he quoted Psalm 2, a portion that's also found in Hebrews, I think, twice, and that is Christ being begotten in his resurrection. This is such a major point, and it's not one that's easy to understand, Ed. So let's take a few minutes at the beginning here and maybe review it again. And the verse that I'm referring to in Acts is Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. And that verse says that God has fully fulfilled this promise to us, their children, in raising up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Chris, what this verse shows us is that resurrection was a birth to Christ. It was a birth. So in resurrection, God begot him. Now, what does this mean? In the New Testament, what we see firstly, if we look at John 1.18 and John 3.16, we see that Christ is the only begotten Son of God. That means from eternity, He's the only begotten Son of God. As the only begotten Son of God, he possesses merely divinity. But what happened is Christ, as the only begotten Son of God, became a man. He put on humanity. He put on something that was not a part of his divine sonship. 
So what Christ did is he passed through human living. He died an all-inclusive, marvelous, wonderful death. And in resurrection, he brought his humanity into divinity. He brought his humanity into the divine sonship. And in resurrection, he became the firstborn son of God. Now, as the firstborn son of God, he possesses not only divinity, but also humanity. Humanity has been brought into divinity, and in resurrection, he was begotten to be the firstborn among many brothers. So as the only begotten son of God, we can say he is the embodiment of the divine life. But in resurrection, as the firstborn son of God, he's the propagation of the divine life. The reason why we say this is because resurrection actually was a great delivery. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that all of us believers were regenerated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So resurrection was a great birth. In God's eyes, all of us believers were begotten with Christ on the day of resurrection. He was begotten as the firstborn son of God, possessing both divinity and humanity, and we were begotten as the many sons of God. Well, Ed, we also saw yesterday that Paul speaking was very much limited to that which was just from the Bible. He didn't use his own thought or his own knowledge. Also very focused on Christ and Christ alone. In that regard, he speaks a phrase in Acts 13.34. Let me read this verse for our listeners. And as to his having raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to corruption, he spoke in this way. I will give you the holy things of David, the faithful things. Ed, what about this last phrase? What does it refer to, the holy things of David, the faithful things? We just pointed out that Acts 13.33 speaks of the resurrected Christ as the firstborn Son of God. And then we go on to verse 34, and in verse 34 it talks about Christ being raised up from the dead and God giving us the holy and faithful things of David. Holy and faithful things is one Greek word. Okay, then you go to the next verse. It says, therefore, he also says in another place, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Now, when we put this all together, the Greek word for holy one is the singular of the Greek word for holy and faithful things. The resurrected Christ himself as the Holy One, is the holy and faithful things of David. What does God want to give us? He wants to give us Christ. What these holy and faithful things are is they are all the aspects of what Christ is to us. So the holy and faithful things of David are a person. Christ came out of the seed of David as a man. And all these holy and faithful things of David are, are what Christ is to us in many aspects. Now, Chris, just to show this further, if we go to Isaiah 55, verses 3 and 4, the Hebrew equivalent of this Greek word is mentioned in these verses. In verse 3, it speaks of the sure mercies of David. This is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word holy and faithful things, the sure mercies of David. In verse 3, but then in verse 4 of Isaiah 55, it says, Behold, I have given him 
for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. This is Christ. Who is Christ? Christ is the sure mercies of David to us. Who is Christ? He is the holy and faithful things of David. And again, these are all the aspects of what Christ is to us. He is the holy and faithful things that God wants to give to us. Now just consider in the New Testament all the aspects of what Christ is to us. Christ is the solution to all our problems. He's all that we need. Just to give you an example, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a church with many problems. So what did Paul do when he wrote the Corinthians? He didn't write them mainly as a problem solver, you know, as a guidance counselor. He unveiled Christ to them in at least 20 aspects because he realized that if they would enjoy Christ in all these aspects as the holy and faithful things that God wants to give to us, this would be the solution to all their problems. In the book of Corinthians, what we see, like for instance in chapter 1, we see Christ is God's power. Do you need power right now? Christ is God's power to you. Christ is God's wisdom. Do you need wisdom? Wisdom isn't something separate from Christ. Wisdom is Christ. And this wisdom is righteousness, sanctification, and redemption to us. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. Christ is our redemption. Corinthians goes on to show that he's the Lord of glory for our glorification. He's the deep things of God. He's the unique foundation of God's building. He's our Passover. He's our unleavened bread. He's our spiritual food. He's our spiritual rock the one we can talk to, the one who can gush out the living waters for us to drink. Corinthians goes on to show that he's the head, he's the body, he's the first fruits, he's the second man, he's the last Adam, and finally he's the life-giving spirit. This is just one book in the New Testament. What God wants to give us is Christ in many aspects as the holy and faithful things of David. Chris, isn't this marvelous? Ed, it's marvelous, and it's also somewhat painful in a way. We're so programmed to think in terms of our needs being items, things that we need God to give us, that if he just would do it and just answer this prayer and give me this kind of patience, tolerance for my boss at work. But really, what a refocus and recalibration to realize that what God is trying to give us is all of these things embodied, personified as the wonderful Lord Jesus. Exactly, Chris. To me, this is a wonderful revelation that these holy and faithful things that Paul referred to, and we saw from the Bible, it's so clear. These holy and faithful things are Christ himself in many aspects. Christ is the reality of every positive thing in this universe, and he wants to dispense himself in his unsearchable riches into us so that we can become his corporate expression in this universe. This is his purpose. Okay, Ed, I want to go back to your mention of Isaiah 55. This passage is marvelous in that it speaks of the sure mercies of David, and you pointed out this is the equivalent of this New Testament phrase, the holy and faithful things. They're described by Witness Lee in the life study that we're discussing today, the holy and faithful things, as mercies. Why are mercies so precious to us as believers? Chris, I just love Isaiah 55, 3 and 4. The holy and faithful things in Acts 13, 34, Paul was referring back 
to what's here in Isaiah 55. The sure mercies of David are the holy and faithful things of David. So these sure mercies are a person. It's so clear from the Bible. It says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And then the next verse says, Behold, I have given him. Christ himself is mercy to us. We have to testify as believers, what a great mercy that we have Christ living in us. Mercy is for someone who is in a pitiful situation. In our old man, we're just pitiful. We are in a low condition. We need mercy. This mercy is Christ in many aspects. And, you know, the more we go on, the more we realize that, like Romans 9, 16 says, it's not of him who wills, it's not of him who runs, but it's of God, the one who shows mercy, the one who dispenses Christ as new mercies to us morning by morning so we can enjoy him as everything, so we can be filled with him, and so we can be vessels of mercy for his expression. Well, Ed, among the greatest of the mercies of Christ is that he was incarnated in the beginning, in the first place, to come into humanity, into our situation, where he could obtain for us two of the most marvelous mercies, forgiveness and justification. If we look past the theological definition of these words, we can see that these really are treasured, holy, and faithful things, aren't they? Yes, Chris. And, you know, when Paul was speaking here, in the context, we can see that when he was speaking about the forgiveness of sins and our justification, that this forgiveness and justification are items of Christ to us as the holy and faithful things. They're items of Christ as mercy to us. Forgiveness is Christ himself as mercy to us. Justification is Christ himself as mercy to us. When Christ comes to us as forgiveness, what does forgiveness do? It releases us from all condemnation. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And forgiveness of sins is a great gift to us. Hallelujah. When we receive Christ, his blood cleanses us from every sin. And that word means every sin. Maybe there's some sins you don't think can be forgiven, but his blood cleanses us from every sin. He takes away the sin of the world. This is Christ himself as mercy coming to us as forgiveness. Then what does justification do? Justification reconciles us to God. When we're justified, we're accepted by God. You know, in Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son, we could see that he was in a deplorable state. But the first thing the father did was he clothed that son with the best robe for his justification so that he could be accepted. When we receive Christ as our Savior, God clothed us with Christ as the best robe. This is Christ as the God-satisfying righteousness to cover and clothe the penitent sinner for his justification. Both forgiveness and justification are mercies from God to us. Ed, we're seeing today a marvelous, I would say, progression in Paul speaking in the synagogue in Acts 13. We began with the holy and faithful things, the sure mercies of David, and among them we touched forgiveness and justification. Now, verse 43. And when the synagogue gathering had been dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes 
followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. From forgiveness and justification, we're brought to the grace of God. How do these connect, Ed? And what does the Apostle Paul mean here that we should continue in the grace of God? Yes, Chris, I'm glad you emphasized this phrase. Again, we saw that Christ is the holy and faithful things. And then Paul goes on to say, we need to continue in the grace of God. Well, we've received Christ as the holy and faithful things. We've received Christ into us, all of his riches of what he is in many aspects as the holy and faithful things that God wants to give to us. Well, when we receive him into us as the holy and faithful things, he becomes grace to us in our experience. Again, I would say this, grace is a person. You've received Christ as grace. Now you need to continue in him as grace. Now, why do I say that grace is a person? Well, in John 1, verse 17, it says the law was given through Moses. Grace came through Jesus Christ. The law was given, but grace came. Grace is personified, Christ himself. If you look up the word grace in Vine's Expository Dictionary, it says that grace is something which causes or occasions pleasure or delight. Now, what is grace when you consider this definition? Grace is Christ himself for our enjoyment. So we need to continue in the grace of God to continue in the enjoyment of Christ as everything to us. Now, how can we enjoy Christ? I would just like to give a practical word. Ephesians 6, 24, this verse says, Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in incorruptibility. Now, how do we enjoy Christ? The way we enjoy Christ is we love Christ. The way you can enjoy a person is to love that person. And I would just like to tell our listeners, if you want to enjoy Christ, just pick up this one habit day by day. Just say every day repeatedly to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I love you. Just try it right now. Say with me from the depths of your being, Lord Jesus, I love you. Another way we can enjoy the Lord is grace is in Acts 20, verse 32. In this verse, Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus, and he tells them to continue in the word of his grace. How can we enjoy grace? We need to be in his word. I tell you, when you come to the Bible every day and read the Bible prayerfully, Christ can be your enjoyment. So I just feel like we need to pick up these two life habits, and you will be a person who continues in Christ as the grace of God. Ed, it's quite something that from both Vine's definition of grace and your fellowship, grace is specifically an experiential phrase. And it's really tragic that in a religious context, it has been so diminished to become either something theologically we can't quite get a grip on or even some perfunctory uh, prayer that we offer before a meal. But Paul's word here, continue in grace and continue in the word of his grace. What an exhortation, and very much aimed at our experience, isn't it? Exactly, very much so. And the fact that he would end the whole book of Ephesians, that grace is with those who love the Lord Jesus. This is remarkable. This is the way we can continue in the grace of God. Well, let me read a few more verses from chapter 13. And we're now at the conclusion of Paul speaking, because what we are seeing is very remarkable here. 
beginning at verse 44. And on the following Sabbath, almost all the city gathered together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted the things being spoken by Paul and blasphemed. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and said, It is necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first. Since you thrust it away and do not judge yourselves worthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light of the Gentiles, that you would be for salvation unto the uttermost part of the earth. And the Gentiles, hearing this, rejoiced and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was carried through the whole region. And this rejection of the word by the Jews is really astounding. And it caused Paul ultimately to turn his attention fully to the Gentiles. In a sense, the Lord has used this rejection for his purpose, hasn't he? Yes, it's amazing how the Lord did this, Chris. You're absolutely right. I think we need to pick up a principle here that when we're preaching the gospel and we're rejected, we shouldn't be discouraged. Actually, that rejection can issue in a broader spread of the gospel through us. I mean, look what happened to Paul. He turned to the Gentiles, and eventually the word of the Lord was carried throughout the whole region. Paul quotes Isaiah 49, verse 6, I have set you as a light of the Gentiles, that you would be for salvation unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you look at this passage in Isaiah 49, this is talking about Christ himself. Christ himself is the light of the Gentiles. Christ himself is for salvation unto the uttermost part of the earth. But when Paul quotes this, he applies this to himself and his co-workers. This is marvelous. Paul was so one with Christ that he and the brothers with him became a light to the Gentiles. He and the brothers with him were for salvation to the remotest parts of the earth. In the same way, we need to enjoy Christ, experience Christ as all the holy and faithful things that God wants to give to us. And then we become a light to the people around us. We become the source of their salvation. And, you know, as you were reading, it pointed out that the ones who rejected the gospel, they were kind of unworthy of eternal life. So people who reject the gospel, this is evidence of their being unworthy of eternal life. But those who believe in the gospel that we preach, this is proof of their being ordained to eternal life. You know, on the one hand, those who believe are ordained to eternal life. But on the other hand, you have to choose Christ. He wants you to exercise your free will to choose him. Well, how do we reconcile this matter of predestination to eternal life and also having a free will to choose Christ? Well, you know, D.L. Moody said something marvelous that I like. He said, when people enter into the kingdom of the heavens, there'll be a sign in the front that will say, whosoever will may come. This is the principle of the scriptures, whosoever will can come to the Lord and can enter into salvation. But D.L. Moody said, when you go through the gate and you look back on the other side of the gate, there's a sign that says, chosen before the foundation of the world. This is the twofoldness of the divine truth operating here. This passage is really marvelous, and the Lord used this rejection that Paul experienced for his purpose to spread the gospel 
Well, Ed, I want to conclude today by going back to the progression that we touched earlier and progressively through the program, and that is we began with the sure mercies, forgiveness, ultimately forgiveness, and justification, and eventually brought to grace. Now, we have one more step in this progression. Let me read again from Acts 13 and verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Ed, briefly comment on this marvelous divine sequence that we've been seeing today. Yes, Chris, eventually Paul and his co-workers, they got rejected. But it says they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, what this shows us is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this spirit, according to Hebrews 1.9, is the oil of exultant joy. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are filled with joy that surpasses all understanding, that is beyond what our outward environment is. Your outward environment may be very hard. We may be passing through suffering, but when we're filled with the Spirit, we're full of the oil of exultant joy. And Chris, what this shows us is actually to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ as the holy and faithful things. Everything you need is contained in the all-inclusive Spirit in your spirit. We just need to be those who are continually filled inwardly with him so that we can have him as our joy in every kind of circumstance. Well, Ed, we certainly missed our brother's portion today on tape. We've had the benefit of having the printed life study message edited, and in addition to that, the recovery version with the marvelous footnotes that uh, so generously adorned this chapter 13 of Acts. It's helped our fellowship, and it helps us day by day. I think at this point it would be remiss if we didn't recommend these tools and these marvelous aids in enjoying and getting into the Word of God to our listeners. The recovery version comes in many formats and uh, price ranges, and we can talk to our listeners about that when they'll call us toll-free and, again, invite them to call and ask for the bound volume number three. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Ed Marks today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule 
or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.